All right, welcome to Hyperborean Radio. I'm Celtic God, also known as Jeff. With me is the Lord Keeper, Ike. Hello, everybody, and today we are talking about something so important. Tradition. We're talking about following us on X, Telegram, visiting our website, hyperboreanradio.com. Yes, the several decades-long tradition of following people on social media <laughs> of some kind. Actually, it might be... I mean, be we got to throw the plugs in there. I figure I'd try and make it a yeah, little get, bit amusing. Make it quick. Make it... Uh, make sure to sub to us on, you know, click Spotify, all the buttons. Spotify, buy me a coffee, Patreon. Uh, you can also follow us on Telegram. We're on X now, Facebook. Yeah, we say some audacious things. We say some deep things. We say some silly things. You, you guys know us by now. Yeah. All right, so tradition. Yes, well, and... This is this is kind of it's an amalgam of a lot of topics that kind of made me think of this. But basically, we often say and it's true the way the ethnic spirituality, whatever name you ascribe it to it, is mostly biological and uh, instinctual mm-hmm. that it's innate. But people understand there's a little bit more to it than that, and this is the other bit. Tradition, that which is passed down from person to person, family to family, tribe to tribe, on and on and on, till we get kind of where we're at, which is why everything, we've brought it up many, many times, is more or less descended of older traditions. Right, and it can be grand things like celebrating Yule, or it can be little things like uh, grandfather taught father how to tie a fishing fly, father taught me how to tie a fishing fly i will teach my son how to tie a fishing fly oh yeah you can have like 15 generations that all taught each other how to fish that's also tradition and it's also a part of the way well and quite often that little thing is overlooked i i don't know why but it's like the people that say well my area doesn't have any culture until they get out of their area and then they're like holy shit everybody's just different and Oh, These yeah. people are crazy, and this thing is kind of cool, but they don't realize that they do have culture. Right down to the small little town out in the middle of nowhere has culture. Well, it's a little like um, like we had a English friend that we talked to, and he was talking about how there really isn't anything here. And then we were like, what about that thing? What thing? The Roman bath you just mentioned. You have a Roman bath like a block away from your village. You And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then, of course, then he looks into it. I mean, he knew some stuff, but it's one of those things where you don't quite understand the traditions there. And here's the thing is there is the really obvious traditions like you brought up where there's the holidays. And then there's the less obvious traditions. And it. It's everything. It's how you build your houses. It's what you dress as. It's what you eat on and on and on. It can be as simple as how you enter a home. Americans, for instance, we look at Japan and we're like, oh, they have this great tradition of entering home. From the Japanese perspective, they're just walking in somebody's house. From our perspective, because it's so different from how we do it. Well, it's a it's a cultural tradition to do this and this and this before entering the home. Well, we all have traditional ways of entering a home, and it might be different in different locations, but if we're all hyperboreans, there's also a similarity, which is why, like, for instance, if you're the person that's like, take your shoes off before walking into my home and dishonoring, you're the oddball. 
Most Hyperboreans are not this way. No, actually, they're it's... like knock before entering, unless I am actively with you because you don't live here. It's the only a polite thing to do, and then just walk in. Um, we also have a tendency to step over the threshold. We almost never step on it unless it's accidental. And I've watched it before, even when it's a completely flat threshold with the porch. If the foot accident, and this is a part of culture we do instinctively. We don't even realize that we do it, but our foot falls on that, um, on that threshold. I've watched people trip when there is nothing to trip on because they accidentally placed their foot on the threshold. If this isn't culture, I don't know what the fuck is. Well, and there's actually a reason for that is we used to for a long time. Stretching back to the freaking Stone Age, at least there's some indication of it. Uh, uh, yeah. We buried our beloved dead in the home or around the home, and one of the most honored places was at the threshold of the house. Yes. There or under the, um, what's it called, the hearth? The hearth, uh, the, yeah, fire the fireplace. The, the fire pit, the fireplace, depending on... Yeah, if that starts to make sense why the ancestral spirits tend to be in those specific areas, just because that's the thing is some of these traditions will forget the exact meaning. Like uh, we used to keep foxes as pets. There's evidence that we've done that again that far back. The it freaking... makes me wonder if all the dogs are actually descended of wolves or if some of them aren't descended of foxes. Once well, uh, there is, they found stuff like that in Germany and makes you wonder if the fox being the messenger of the gods isn't because the fox was used as a messenger animal. Mm -hmm. So you never know. But those are sort of how traditions pass along. And this is the other thing is most traditions usually have a practical purpose. Or even if they're emotional, like the not stepping on the threshold thing, it's a reasonable emotion. You don't step where the beloved dead is buried. Right. Like, well, well, and here's the crazy thing. It was common right up until 50-ish years ago. Well, maybe 70 now. It was pretty common up into the 1950s to go picnic at the graveyard and take a nap. So it's okay to lay on them. It's just not okay to tread on them. Well, and this, too descends of a much older custom because we used to actually uh, sleep on the mounds to get visitations to from. with the spirits yeah. of our ancestors to get all weird i don't know why people like stuff like that like oh people but like it's actually a fairly pragmatic action it doesn't mean that's not spiritual but people take the spiritual aspect of it and they run off in the in the strangest directions well traditions usually start from a practical purpose and move into a spiritual purpose well I, I think this is my issue with the spiritual the spiritual practice that a lot of people do with it is they remove the reason for it and it becomes only spiritual well that's why most traditions are actually dying out because for a tradition to actually continue it has to serve a purpose right and usually the last vestige of a tradition's purpose is community bonding like Halloween, more or less had had by before they were trying to get rid of it, been turned basically into just the neighbors. Well, and people's forgotten what it's about, which is why it turned into excuse for women to dress like whores. That is not what Halloween is. We need to reclaim this and let people know what it actually is and start portraying it ourselves, so that people can see it's fun. You don't oh, have yeah. to dress like a whore to have fun. No, well, and it's it, not just about scaring the shit out of people either. Well, it's, I mean, that that's fun, but I am glad that it is coming out slowly, but surely that people don't 
actually like that, like the really slutty look. Mm -hmm. And that apparently I'm not a woman, but a lot of women have been told this is what guys want. No, that's what men right. want. Well, used and us, to want and us for guys. A well, and us guys, we're just as much at fault. The women are being told this, and then we don't tell them no. She says, "Do I look hot?" And we say, "Yes," because she does. We want to immediately go better, so she thinks this is what we actually want. We're we're reinforcing that rather than being like, "Well, you look quite lovely for the bedroom." But if you want to participate in Halloween, why don't we make you look like, I don't know, the Wicked Witch? <laughs> well, and... Or or a real Snow White instead of, uh, what is that, Macchiato Light? Uh, uh, Macchiato what? White and the Seven Baristas. Yes. <laughs> but I like Macchiato Light better. Well, and the reason I'm kind of avoiding talking about the folklore and mythology is this should be pretty obvious. Yes, that's part of the tradition. <laughs> Well, but, uh, I was also going to pull into the I the eyeing and the importance of tradition. We was talking about Easter, and you've brought up before it. It makes sense. There's no definitive proof, but it does make sense that the Easter egg hunt started off with how how and where to find eggs. And, yeah, and it was it was egg foraging, and then right, and then you you basically all you have is ducks for eggs. But how do you uh, how do you teach somebody how to find robin eggs? Well, you decorate the white duck egg to look like a robin's egg or a sparrow egg or, or a whatever, egg. whatever. And then it, the tradition goes from finding eggs, just finding eggs to eat, to we're still learning how to find the eggs to eat, but we don't really need to because we got the ducks, but just in case. And it's fun. It's a fun game, so we're going to keep doing it. And then it turns into we're going to put all kinds of fancy decorations on it, maybe even egg carving. And then now we're to the point where there's supposed to be eggs for Easter, so I'm just going to go get a bunch of plastic eggs and I'll put some candies in it because you're supposed to be able to eat whatever's inside the egg. And now it's stepped even further away to just the plastic eggs as mere decoration, and people have forgotten what it's for. The depth of it is gone. It's the depth of it that I'm talking about. Well, and it's... Part of the giveaway for this is not only the fact that we still actually in a lot of rural parts will go egg foraging. Mm -hmm. You just don't take them all. You go and you get, I don't know, you find a... You leave at least three. Yeah, you find duck eggs. You take There's like six, you take three. You always want more than the parents are there. Right, and never take more than what you can use. Yeah. Well, it's... If there's only three, you just keep going. Well, and it's pragmatic, but it's also respectful. Like... I want to eat the eggs, but I also want there to be more geese next year. Right, or more ducks or whatever. Or storks or herons. I mean, it's sort of like with storks, storks will straight up kill the weakest of their offspring. Yes. Like every every brood they, they have. They make sacrifices to the local predators. Yes. So, but that's the pragmatic reason. It also explains because the prettiest egg decoration is in areas where the Easter egg hunt wasn't very prominent, which makes sense because why would you hyper-decorate an egg just so that someone can go try and find it in the woods? Right. Well, and a few years ago, people was like, well, it's a shame because people don't sit at, at the table and eat dinner anymore. They all go sit in front of the TV and eat dinner, and it's a shame that families aren't eating meals together anymore. 
and then I would end up coming to the defense of these of these families. It's like one, they don't have a dinner table because there's no room for it, or if there is, then they have to sacrifice all this other stuff to force room for this table because houses in America has been getting smaller and sm- living spaces in America has been. Getting oh yeah, smaller now they're doing tiny houses. Yeah, tiny tiny houses, houses for a hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars. Anyways, that's a mm, yeah, that's a whole another thing, but. My argument was they are still having dinner. It's very much actually pre-1950s, what people think of as traditional, where the food is cooked, everybody sits around the hearth. There may or may not be a table, but they all sit around the fireplace. The TV had just taken the place of the fireplace. They sit there, they, they watch TV, they talk about the show, they're all still interacting with each other. The table itself is incidental and not the tradition. The tradition is having meals together. It doesn't matter where or how. What matters is that you're together, you're having a meal and conversing. It doesn't even matter if you're arguing. Feel free. What's that one old saying? Uh, Impolite company never discuss politics or religion. Yeah, that's stupid. Do that. Do that. It will get people talking. It doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. You know what the most common conversations can be among grownups? Politics and religion. Because it's the most interesting topic. Saying do not discuss politics or religion is the same as saying do not talk. Because almost everything that you do ties into those two things. And those two topics, I've recently realized, are strongly bound. If not the exact same. One will lead the other. That's the only question is which one is leading? Is it the politics leading the belief or is the belief leading the politics? Well, and that's the thing is organized religion is political. It's even set up like a political yeah. system. Well, it's, it's open. They, they openly admit it. Oh, yeah. I've, I've gone to the Catholic site. It openly admits it. Oh, yeah. While oddly also saying we don't get involved in politics. But the reality is, is your belief affects what you value and therefore will affect how you vote politically, which again is why, like the Spartans, used to kill politicians. Yes. they didn't allow them. Well, it's because they were known to be liars and manipulators. Well, it's politics, and they didn't truly believe in anything. And that's not just a Spartan thing. That's I'm extrapolating from bunches of writings across history. Well, but this was the the standard view of politicians. And tell me, in today's world, is it any different? We're still carrying on on the tradition of hating the politicians. Well, it's because it's a job placement program where people can get rich for being useless. Right. Well, and there's a difference between the politician and the high king. The high king might say, I am willing to lead. And the people are like, yes, you're leading whether you like it or not. Or the high king might say, yeah, I have no interest in leading. And the, the people are like, but we're following you whether you like it or not. That is different from a politician. Oh, yeah, because there are high kings that retired after, like, being a high king for nine years or so. And then several years later, the people come up. It's like, dear king, we have let you rest. We need you to come back. He's like, I'm freaking retired. Right. I mean, it's a simplified modern way to, to explain it. But, yes, very much. Very much so. Well, and that's the thing is, traditionally, who in their right mind would allow the dumbest, the weakest, or the most corrupt to lead their countries. doesn't make any sense. Right. Or their tribes, their people, however it is that you want to break it down. Oh, yeah. Who in the right mind would do this? Well, and then... 
to go back to the Easter eggs briefly, people will be like, well, that's way too pragmatic. Where's the Easter is the God of spirituality in it. Easter's the God of new life. Eggs are literally new life. They're the physical embodiment representation of new life. Eggs and seeds. This is new life. So I can't think of anything you you wouldn't thank Easter for when it comes to eggs. And I don't know why if you decided to, okay, we now have the ducks, the geese, the chickens, the quail, the whatever, laying eggs for us. Freaking ostriches now. Right. Um, Why would we bother specifically foraging for eggs? It would just affect the local bird populations if we have our own eggs. There's nothing wrong with doing it if you still have to. But if you don't have to, well, it's a lot of extra work. Right. So you start doing it so that you don't lose the custom. Because it also explains why, despite the fact that the Easter egg tradition, very in terms of like the Easter egg hunt, clearly originates from like the British Isles, the German areas, mm-hmm. um, why the eggs are the most plain there. Because you go to Eastern Europe, you go to Scandinavia. Yeah, basically, the further away that you get, the more ornate it becomes because it's like they, they know this is a thing. They know that it's important, but they don't understand why. Yeah, it increasingly becomes an art form, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like the carved egg Easter trees in Scandinavia, the stuff like that. But this tradition specifically seems to come from that region. And, that, and looking where it probably came from. Right. I mean, look at all the waterfowl, and I know all the other areas have waterfowl as well, and birds, and we have them everywhere. There's a which lot is of- why we was able to have this custom everywhere. But when you look at the terrain all those years ago, it becomes very clear for anybody that spent any amount of time out in the wild, these eggs are they can be the difference between living and dying. Well, especially because very important. Well, it's especially because spring is a time of famine. That is where a lot of animals die. Yeah, ask, ask the North Koreans. They'll tell you all about it. Well, and then that's another thing is traditions typically go with the natural cycles. Like, for instance, traditional meals aren't just what you eat. It's when you eat it. Yeah. Like, you might eat something completely different in December than you would in August. You have completely different food at your disposal. There's completely different environment. Like, you might, like, in America... We usually grill outside in summer, but we'll cook inside in winter because you cook inside. It is both uh, pragmatic. It's a tradition spawned from pragmatism. Yes. It's too damn hot to cook inside. Yes. And once that pragmatism is gone, well, people. Yeah. Since the the invention and invent of the air conditioner, we still do it. And we, we, we take pride in going outside and cooking. Yeah. The grill master. Yes. So. It is a tradition spawned from pragmatism. And there is a spiritual component to it because it's been done for so long. And there's holidays, too, because people in tradition, there's always holidays. And we've discussed um, Easter and Halloween, and we mentioned Yule. We're not going, I, I don't want to even really spend any more time on that. But there's the unnamed holiday. That's what my grand would call it the unnamed holiday. I'm going to name an unnamed holiday, the 4th of July. It's the American Midsummer. Well, yeah. However, like I was talking about, was that yesterday, I think? We we was out and about. And, Midsummer uh, is... I was like, it feels like we should be at a lake with a lot of people. Lake or a river. The, we went to a river, and the river should have been packed. And people cooking out and having fun and just playing in the river. 
because it's that unnamed holiday. You can just kind of feel when you get that feeling of, especially women, you get that feeling today's a holiday. Just make a damn holiday out of it. It's an unnamed holiday. It just feels right. Do the thing that feels right. Going to the the park and playing ball. Going to the river and playing in the water and having a cookout. This stuff is it's perfectly fine to do and is extremely traditional. And I'm not doing... Well, anybody that's listened very long knows I'm not doing the... Just do what you feel. No. No. No, the moment you do that, you know CG has suffered multiple strokes. <laughs> One of my eyes is bleeding at that moment. But, no, we can, we can feel it that something should be happening. So just make a tradition out of it. If Everybody's home. It's like, today feels like today. Let's go to the park. Let's go to the lake. Let's go to the river. Let's go for a hike. Just go do something. That is still tradition. Yes. We, we, I grew up doing it where random Saturday morning, nobody knows why. Everybody just got together and we would go out fishing. Why? Because it was that Saturday. It just, it was the unnamed holiday. Maybe it's the spirits of the ancestors whispering to you, or maybe there's uh, innate senses that we have that allow us to indicate it's a good day for fishing. Right. Uh, because the holiday doesn't always have to be this grand celebration sometimes it can just be let's go do this thing because it sounds like fun well it's, it is the unnamed holiday and we do it still i mean they're trying to crush it and it's, it's it's dying and it's dying quickly and we need to resuscitate it while it's still alive but right up until anybody that's over 20 years old will remember and some people that's under 20 some people that are lucky will remember the whole yeah, it's Saturday afternoon. Uh, come with us. We're going to go do a thing. And then they go do something fun. It's This is tradition. Oh, yeah. Well, um, this actually kind of gets into something because you brought up the 4th of July is American Midsummer. This is true. And Memorial Day is sort of our uh, American May Day while Purgus knocked. It fulfills a similar role if you get back to the root of the tradition. Here's the thing, though. These customs that eventually formed into these modern holidays, they were already done. They were either unnamed traditions, like you mentioned, or they had a name. We just don't really use that name anymore because we did have May Day customs in America. We did have remembering the dead in springtime, which there's the pragmatic reason. It is now warm enough that I can go to their grave. I shall bring them flowers because it's right. spring. When I sit on the grass, my ass won't get wet. Yeah. This is how I know it's the right time. Yes, it, it, and it it would differ it, it because it sounds silly, but it's true. Well, in the further south you go, the earlier the Memorial Day was or Decoration right. Day. Well, yeah, because I remember you found that when you was looking up uh, um, American holidays that Memorial Day had to actually be standardized because down south it happened way earlier than it did. Yeah, in the because north. winter passes faster in Louisiana or Mississippi than it does in Maine or michigan and they just kind of said yeah that's a good day because they couldn't stop us from doing it that's well, the other thing too that you you'd come across in some of the governmental gibberish is they couldn't stop the people from doing it so they decided that they would change what it's about well it's and the, then standardize the date 
Oh, yeah. Well, it's also uh, they did this with Thanksgiving as well. People were having harvest festivals way before there was a Thanksgiving. It's right. why I get so irritated at the whole, well, it's about killing Native Americans. What the fuck well, are you Memorial on Well, with Memorial Day, uh, what, what's the official story? It's, it has something to do with decorating the uh, the graves of Civil War yeah, uh, it dead, was, right? Yeah. It, but it was happening. They admit it was happening long before the Civil War ever occurred. Yes. Well, and it was actually, I saw some instances where, like, the older traditions were compared to, like, Day of the Dead in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, like, Day of the Dead has marigolds. I think it was poppies, like, red poppies specifically, were associated with the Memorial Day customs. Yes, and, that's the one. Yeah, and it was like, actually... Is it Memorial Day, Labor Day... Crap, I can't remember. I'm a guy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's actually interesting because this is actually an instance of, I guess you could call it adaptive, because I actually want to make a difference between how traditions work. Because there's adaptive or sort of a natural outgrowth of a tradition. Mm -hmm. And then there's the propagandistic sort of forced shifting of a tradition. Memorial Day is actually a really good example of that. Yes, because on the one hand, you have the organic adaptive tradition, which, of course, on a whole continent worth of temperate zones, if it's when the winter's kind of over, is going to shift in time. And and not just north and south, but east and west. Oh, yeah. Well, because anybody familiar with American uh, geography and and the temperatures and weather patterns? Oh, it's. No, yeah. East to west matters as well. Oh, yeah. Well, we have two large mountain ranges that subdivide and then a giant river going right through. So you kind of have like four subsections just east to west. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, five if you want to get into like the Great Basin, which is in between the Rockies. Yeah. Um, But that's just the adaptation. And you could argue that the poppies, because it comes from a poem, I think, um, where the uh, poppy is equated to like a drop of blood from a soldier. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a natural adaptive outgrowth. But the solidifying it, naming it, and making it try to just be about the Civil War soldiers and eventually kind of being like, fine, it's all soldiers. That's the propagandistic push. Yes. And it's nothing new. There there are the obvious ones like Bonfire Night replacing Samhain-style traditions in right. Great Britain or Thanksgiving becoming this weird pseudo-Native American white people getting along holiday. That had <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with what the holiday actually originated as. Um, or uh, you can actually go far enough back where you hit like Dionysus. I have to I have to apologize because I'm extremely professional. And I just hit the mic with my coffee cup. <laughs> ah, yes. This is how you know that we're a professional, a professional crew here. <laughs> yes. Um, but the uh, Dionysus was actually a very wild god. He was a god of madness. And they and the elites of Greece kind of just made him a frat boy. Where we have this hedonistic fat Zeus... Uh, not Zeus. Well, sometimes they'll depict Zeus as hedonistic and fat. Look at Marvel. But uh, right. Dionysus, they'll depict him as this hedonistic, fat, just party animal. And it's like, no, he's not the fat guy from Animal House. Right. He, he is... He's not John Belushi. No, he's a completely different figure from how people represent him. And he is associated with wine, but he's also associated with mead and madness and instinct. And love and, and lust primalness and, and wildness. He's a wild god. He is the god of the wild nature. That's why I'm actually kind of defensive of him, even though I'm not Greek. 
because he's so slandered. It's the same way I well, get. Well, it's like I defend Hades, and they're like, Zeus, the most powerful of the Greek gods. No, sorry, you got the wrong one. And, and I don't venerate him in that way at all, but if you're going to talk about him, at least be honest and truthful about it. Well, and this actually and brings he's not me. A, he's not the bad guy. Sorry, I had to get that out. No, well, underworld gods aren't immediately evil. That's a Christian concept. Because one of the ways they'll even describe the devil is the king of the underworld. Yes. Uh, they even did it. Uh, Disney did a short a long time ago where uh, Hades was the devil and like Easter was Persephone. It was a whole mess, but it was a spring was in the underworld controlled by the devil. And then she escaped. It was a it was a poor adaptation of the Persephone myth. Mm. But um, that is the propagandistic push, the force change, like the gods being rendered to saints, like Sinterklaas just means uh, sacred or holy nature spirit, something like that, if you look at the more archaic language. But he's a saint now because of how people perceive him, you know, despite the fact that he's got the flying horse and the elves and the summer lands and the Krampus. Yeah, it's you can see what he used to be, and you can see what they've pushed him into. And what this they is, want him to be. Well, what they like, want you to think he is. Well, it's like King Arthur is a bear god. He's the bear king. But they try to push him as this this savior of Christendom. Right, well, it's like the humming of songs. That's actually very traditional. Because I've heard a lot of people, and Yule, walking around humming, what child is this? And they're like... I don't know what song this is. I've heard it. Can't help it. I just hum it. And then they'll walk around. Do, 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 do. That's the way it's actually supposed to be sang. Those words are not part of the traditional song. Those were that that push, that governmental push. In this mm-hmm. case, it was the church. I, these peasants at this time of the year... It's maddening because they will parade up and down the street playing instruments and singing this wordless song and humming all hours of the day and night, and we just can't make them stop. They even do it when we force them into the pews of the church. So then they write lyrics for the song to get them to sing a song about Christ. That's the push. That's the standardization that we, we've basically been taught that that song is. The song is actually a wordless song. And what's it, what's it for? What's it to? I can guess, but I don't know. And honestly, I think it's just welcoming. It's just a welcoming song. Yes. Well, and this is the thing is when people... S- part of the issues that I have with people when they get into... Um, the ethnic way is they go one of two directions because our people are a people of extremes and it's really hard to find that balance is they either feel their way through it entirely to the point where they're just making it up and it's you could you have a better chance. you can just tell you yes. can just tell or the people that get so academic that they have to argue that over they the, lose everything else well yeah when you start having because i had someone that i used to talk to that tried to talk to me about how this this Mercury version that was in Germania was actually Odin, and this is why Odin was associated with a rooster, but I don't know. And by the end, I basically told him, okay, one, you've conflated like seven gods to do what you just did, but two, what you just said meant nothing. Yeah. 
nothing. Nothing you said meant it anything. It sounds very smart. But no, what, but it means nothing. What have you? What have you? What did this accomplish? You, you're saying okay, Odin was in southern Germany. I already don't disagree with that. I disagree with him being important and when he showed up. Right. So nothing you've actually said was of meant anything. You you said a bunch of academic gobbledygook that meant nothing. And then you want me to pat you on the back for it. Well, and I keep coming back to this conversation with the anthropologist and the one line of, yes, what you're saying is true. It was uh, the conversation about why women don't go to war in general. Well, it's because the women give birth. Yes, but people don't think that way. And the anthropologist, you could see it uh, on her face. She's just like, oh, shit. That's true. Yes, it, it, it's a common issue is people treat humans as if they are academic subjects rather than people. It's a lot like one of my biggest complaints. Well, with what's amazing, that that's actually the purpose of her uh, of her field is to figure out how humans work, fit into this stuff. Well, and it's one of my big critiques of how a lot of modern civilization is set up is the system, the things we build, the s cities we build, the, the customs, all these things are meant to be in service to the people. They're supposed to help people. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we be it flipped. And it's what can humans do for the system, not what can the system do for the people. Right. An easy way to understand this, uh, an easier way to explain this is like using tools. Because the system is just a tool. So with a car there's absolutely nothing wrong with cars it's a wonder of engineering it's very useful so on and so forth there's no problem with the car the problem is is that we're forced to rely on the car oh yeah. that's where the issue comes in well and there's actually a good example of the car with what we were what i just talked about which is there was an engineer that made a wonderful car oh yeah so energy efficient so powerful he forgot to put seats in it Yes. The engine came into the car. So that it had a better balance because it was all the handling, the braking, all this stuff. Well, you want to center. Yeah. And he forgot about the people. People in the car. And it's insane. It's like, why did this happen? How could this happen? And we brought this up before as well, but. Uh, you and I were talking about movies and plays and how there's this winnowing effect where basically what happens is all these movies, like we've had thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I, I don't want to say millions, but we might have hit that mark worldwide of movies throughout the years. We're not going to go see bad ones anymore. We're not going to we're going to just go back and watch the good right. ones, which is slowly making well uh, and there's right. a broken trust too because you can't talk about that part without talking about the industry crying that well we put a, a half a million dollars or a half a million half a billion dollars or a billion dollars into filming this film and nobody went and watched it yeah we got 400 million dollars um for from the ticket seats but it doesn't even pay for the the production cost of the movie and they're they're crying about it. And here's the question: Is why should we? They've broken the trust. Oh yeah. Well, there has to be a trust between the entertainer. And so currently, they could put out the best movie ever of all time 
with scents and smells even. And, and where you can taste the dust in the air. They could put out the best movie ever made. And most people wouldn't go watch it because they've broken the trust. Which then leads to the winnowing effect that you was talking about. With oh, the, yeah. There's millions of them. Why, why should we risk going and watching this new movie and and paying so much for it? I mean, well, 20 bucks isn't that much per head. Okay, fair enough. But it's not just the money either. Even if you can afford the money, do you really want to risk your time on it? That's the other thing. And this is why if you're an entertainer or if you do anything, your craft, your skill, your, your weird, whatever you want to call it, a lot of times the other person has to be receptive to it. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, uh, High Lung. I don't quite like High Lung because they're universalist. But you used to show, even devout Christians, you'd have them listen to High Lung. Mm-hmm. And they'd start crying like it was the music of God. And then you'd show them what they were dressed as. It's like, oh, devil music. Yes. And it's, there's a level of you have to be receptive to it for it to work as well. There's situations where it can be powerful enough to cut through that. Like the performance of Simple Man in uh, yeah, that just one a, living room yeah. where he started singing. Everyone stopped talking. He had every attention in the room. Or the new song, uh, the Rich, Rich Men of Richmond. Yeah. Richmond North of Richmond. There you go. There, uh, he sings it so raw, even though the version most people have, have watched isn't is, raw. Is the more produced version. But he's so raw with it, so honest. Whether or not you agree doesn't matter. The very fact that he's so honest, and yes, he's being attacked, but he's being attacked by people that, that they're struck by it, and then they have to rationalize their way out of it like some weird fucking academic jerk-off. Oh, yeah. Well, and he won more of my respect, actually, because he turned down a bunch of multi-million dollar deals, and he's like, well, how, why'd you do that? Dude, I just want to go back to the woods. Yeah. Respect. Well, yes. and these people rationalizing, hating the movie, because that's what, or the movie, the, the song. song. They're focusing on one line, which... Here's here's the kicker. And think about this. They are so focused on this one line, uh, the one about fudge rounds. If you're five foot three and three hundred pounds, uh, uh, welfare so- shouldn't pay. Ought not to pay for your bag of fudge rounds. Right. They are so focused on that one line. It's telling because they agree with the rest of it. Well, and they agree with that too. They're just trying to focus on the one thing they can attack. The one thing for. that sounds mean. Yes, because. Anybody that's grown up in those situations, we know who he's talking about. And yes, they are reviled and you might be equally as broke. But they're the ones that's just laying there wallowing in it. And nobody likes the person that just lays there and wallows. Just wallows. No, they're 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 a drain on everyone. Mm-hmm. But that song other songs it's it's happening with music too because like a lot of people younger than me so like gen z and lower are liking songs from like the 90s and before mm-hmm. so there's already this effect where we're starting to consolidate the great the best sorting of, yeah the great sorting of the music of the movies of the books because like people will be like well some of the greatest novels are like moby dick and and uh, Pride and Prejudice. And, have, you, uh, have you ever actually read those? Well, no, but I did read the synopsis. Yeah, because you didn't read the book because the book sucks. They're terrible. 
good concepts. Uh, we have this conversation all the time about some some old books. Great concepts. Horribly written books. War and Peace is just bad. War and Peace is I couldn't. That's one of the it's few books I could not project. make. It's a vanity project. It's why I can't stand yeah. Tolstoy. Um, I like Dostoevsky, so I'm not hating. But even Frankenstein. Frankenstein is amongst the better of the classic books. It's got a really strong concept. It's got some really good snippets in there. Some good quotes to come out of there. But in general, the book is meh. Well, and I want to clarify. I tried to read Tolstoy. It was physically painful. That's how bad a writer he is. And granted, it's translated to English. But the reason I mentioned Dostoevsky, it's not because, oh, he was so deep. No, I had to read, for school, a book by Dostoevsky, which was had one of the most boring plots that you could possibly imagine. It was basically s- some rich guy being depressed for 400 pages. This is how good a writer Dostoevsky was. I was never bored. <laughs> this topic is unbelievably boring, but he's such a good writer that even translated into English, it's still entertaining. That is a mark of skill. When you can write about something that is demonstrably boring... And it's still interesting. Yeah. And and tradition, because that's the overall arch. Storytelling, it's part of tradition. It doesn't matter if you're telling a story about the time that you and your friends went out and you was being stupid with somebody's uh, four-wheel drive pickup that they bought for 100 bucks. That's still tradition, just like a reading of the Odyssey, which, talking about books, that, that... that brought the Odyssey, oh, the Odyssey was an epic so song. How long ago that was written down, and then it's been translated. It's been translated several times. It's actually well written. Oh it's yeah, well told. Oh, the Odyssey's good. Um, the Iliad's good. I mean, you have to understand some older language grammar. Oh but yeah. In general, it's it's good. You read it once, you're like, what? Read it the second time, you'll get it. Well, it's actually something. Traditional stories are told through song. Yes. It, not all of them, but it's a very common thing. Like, it's told, like, uh, that's why musicals, that's why rock operas, and you go back, like, the, the well, bars. Well, the one guy, um, he's fairly big in our circles. Um, can't remember his name, but he sings the Vol, Volsum Volspa, uh, Wardruna. I, th- I don't know, because I don't speak whatever language he's singing in that song, but if if he is actually singing Volospa in his tongue or the older tongue, that is actually how Volospa is... Like, it's not reading, and now we turn to the page of Volospa and we read the... No, no, no. These are verses. You're supposed to sing it. Yes. It's one of the reasons it's so painful to read a lot of the lore is because they're songs. Well, and depending on what region it comes from, because in some regions it's a spoken tradition. Well, a play. Yeah, like a play. And other, other areas or other time periods, same area, it might be poetry, which is intended to be told with a type of tempo and beat. And it's cadence. rhythmic and cadence and well, it's and very poetic. And there's turns of speech, which are very poetic. In other areas, it's primarily sung. So it's more akin to a song than a poem, but still written in a poetic way. The, the traditions are wide and varied which tradition is yours which is it that you enjoy the most it just because you enjoy the the sung version 
doesn't mean that you have to, well, I absolutely hate the version as much akin to a play with the play acting. It's so very childish. You, you, it's okay to like both. Well, well, and then here's the thing is like an adaptive version of tradition. In the Great Lakes region, which is where we live, the, the Lady of the Lake from uh, Cornish and Celtic mythology is a very big figure. You have to get out into the rural areas for the folklore, but she is. And I'm not just saying, well, you're, of course she's big. She's, you're surrounded by a bunch of lakes. No, 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 no. Like, she's actually in the folklore. Yes. And there are plenty of Cornish people. Well, I don't know how, how many Welsh there are, but there's Cornish, there's Scottish, and there's Irish. I'm talking to one right now in this region. There's plenty of them. So she came along for the ride, and there's a bunch of giant lakes here. Why wouldn't she hang yeah. out? Yeah, and there, there's certain channels like on Telegram, and I'm sure that they're on X as well, that focus on the folklore of various regions. If you enjoy that kind of thing, explore the folklore. It's there. All you have to do is look. Well, and part of the issue is people will be like, well, where are the gods? First of all, it's not actually overly important. We, we've actually said this so many times. There's an entire podcast from last season called Godless. Uh, talking about everything that the ethnic way is without the gods and how extensive just that alone is. But part of the reason you can't notice them is, one, the, a lot of the ones in English have English names. Mm -hmm. The North Wind, the Green Man, Jack Frost. But what is the Green Man's name? The Green Man? Yes, I mean, if you want to get really complicated, you could probably translate it into some Gaelic tongue. But the green man well and we've done that with with a couple of them where we just translate it into like the eternal hunter translate it into german all of a sudden people are like ah yes Ewe, i think it's ewiker yeager the w's are always weird for me in german because sometimes Ebiker they're v yeager. sometimes they're w's and, and people will be like ah yes define ewiker yeager what well like well, why 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 did you not recognize him when his name is spoken in English? We do, we do it all the time. Well, and then I hope actually some people have taken us up on our suggestion before of when you go grocery shopping or you just go to the store, what, as you're walking through the aisles getting things that you need, look at the names of, of products and look at the imagery associated with products and see if you can find the gods. They're everywhere. They market. They use this imagery and these names to market specifically to us. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's even traditional. Oh, yeah. Well, and here's the thing is not all the names are going to be to the point where they're just their title in English. Like, for instance, King Arthur, the Bear King. Arthur means bear. But Arthur is still a used name, so it just remains. Or Robin Hood, also known as Robin Wode. Robin of the Woods, Robin of the Mad, uh, Robin the Mad, or the Mad Robin. Robin, to the Christians, means devil, but it actually means like spirit or deity. Yeah, so divine. Yeah, so the the Mad God, the the Wood God, both of these are titles for Robin Hood. So that's another example of the tradition continuing. But of course, they slowly Christianize it. Like Friar Tuck used to be fairly anti-church. Well, some of the oldest stories, he was just a mad hermit. Yeah, he wasn't even Christian. Yeah. Uh, so 
the stuff we still carry it forward and it's been manipulated be- and they're able to manipulate it because we've been convinced it doesn't exist but advertisers know there's still an instinctive pull oh yeah like the f- um towards these things which is why they use them well just in the toilet paper uh paper towel aisle you have Paul Bunyan you have uh, the Norns or the Moirai, the three sisters, basically. The three little bears. The three bears, the family of bears. Well, and that's another thing is it's not out of the realm of possibility like the Norns. Oh, yes. Three little pigs, not three little bears. <laughs> yeah. That would be a very different story for the wolf. It w- oh, yeah. He'd be very, very surprised. But like the Norns, they'd always be the Norns because how do you translate Norns? It's, you can, but... Still, the Norns are the Norns. You can call at least the three big Norns the three women under the tree or the three women beneath the tree because that's where the Norns hang out. It's a fair enough epithet. Or not epithet. Well, and even if it's not in the name of the product, the imagery will be there. Well, and that's the thing is Kennings are just meant to be... Their actual function was a poetic rhyming scheme. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't do i don't know the row you can't rhyme rose with face so you go with the land of the nose yeah yeah i mean it's it, that's pretty bad but and here's the thing is good try yes but i was just using a bad example i never claimed to be a poet <laughs> but well that's another thing is poet used to have a fairly positive connotation it was yes poets had relatively annoying personalities but if you were a really good poet, you were kind of a bard or, or a scald. It was just a modern word for these roles. Much like scientist just means the knowing ones. They're the new druids. Congratulations. If you right. want to know what... Oh, and same issue that we had before. Some are honest. Some are noble. Some are upright and, and upstanding. They are honorable. Others, much less so. Yeah, if you want to see what the corruption of the druids looked like... Uh, look at our modern academia. Yeah. Look at our scientists, our teachers, professors, professors, so on and so forth. Doctors. Some few are upstanding, noble, and just. There's a lot of them that took the coin. Yeah. Well, it's once you stop allowing people to rise through merit, it's like there's a reason medicine was not free, yes, but it was a sacred duty. It wasn't socialized it wasn't capitalized this is a false dichotomy yeah but thank you marx yes i think that's who it was yeah i think marx he came up with like both capitalism terms. socialism well i i can respect orwell to, to get into another individual the that is cia loves dichotomies is that what binaries it is? binaries they love them and we've been trained to think in them oh yeah well you want to love them for a reason I have had so many conversations with Christians where they'll be like, I used to believe as you did. I'm not an atheist. I'm pagan. They're like, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, your gods are just, no, no, no. I, be- I believe in your God. I just believe he's a liar. And they're like, yes, because they're not used to there being a third choice. It's either you're Abrahamic or you're atheist. These were the false binaries. And that's how they start to destroy the traditions partially is it's this or that you're either a civilized person or you're a dirty barbarian yeah and just because i want to get this in there one of the things we've 
we've noticed looking through history, whether it's getting people out of their traditional houses because, well, they're living in cliffside caves like swallows, or they're living in well, mound they make houses it sound like, like badgers. Just dirty holes, and no. No, these were furnished. They were hobbit homes. They were people. You can find it on YouTube. People that furnished caves. They're really rather nice. Yes. It, this used to be. Very nice and comfortable homes in that dirty hill or in that dirty cave. In that mountainside and, and or it's in the panel, it's, it's beautifully paneled on the inside with risen floors and the drop ceiling. Gorgeous furniture. And yeah, the uh, what are those people that go out there and Philanthropic reformers. Yeah, the philanthropic reformers going out to help these poor peasants and raise them up. Raise them up from what? They was just jealous. Well, it's like... Uh, well, they only work for two, three months out of the year. Well, they make enough money in three months that they don't have to work the other nine months. They just do what they need well, to, to stay alive. Well, and they only use the money for the things that they couldn't produce themselves. And, and like I was telling you, there's... After you found that, it made other things I'd found historically make sense. Like, why, when somebody would come from the countryside, would they not want to allow the country person, the, the rural countryside person, to learn how to, I don't know, blow glass? Oh, because they would come work for a summer or something, learn how to blow glass, take that, that technology back with them because it's in your, it's knowledge. Take that back, and then they never come back. No, because they know the one Now they thing, know how to do it. They don't need you anymore. Well, the, the village was like, I really like that spun glass stuff they do. Can you go figure out how to do it so we don't have to go into that stupid city again? Yeah. I'm on it. And, yeah. And then look at what's going on now. Look at what's going on now and how... You, you raised a very good point before. Why is it only the wealthy can do what the, the poverty-stricken of 100 years ago could do? Oh, yeah, because what people's dreams are now, van life, used to be called being a hobo um, or living out in the countryside on a piece of land with a large family, raising your own food and making a little on the side with the excess these are things that are more or less only open to the rich now. And I'm not vilifying anyone that has accomplished this in their life. Good no, for you. If bravo, you man. Yeah. But this used to be the mark of the poor. What the heck happened? It, it's a fair question. It is. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened to where now only the rich or moderately rich can do what 100 years ago the giant air quotes poverty stricken were mocked for it's confusing it doesn't make any sense well and like we brought up earlier the systems in place right now people must serve the system the system doesn't serve people what what species would set this up it makes no sense and then the philanthropic reformers, like, we have to get these people out of this functional thousands-year-old traditional cycle of life with their own folklore and customs and cuisine and all these things. And we got to get them out of these dirty villages and into the city, into the, the shit-covered streets, living in the depressing Because attics. it's so civilized. Yeah. It's... And there is a cure, and it's coming, and 
the elites, our betters, are beginning to panic. People starting to not participate. They're like, oh, all the people are lazy and they don't want to go to work. No, they just don't want to work for nothing. Yes, which is quickly what it's turning into because we've all met the person good-natured, works hard, spent their entire life working themselves to death. And they die penniless. And sometimes in debt. Yeah. It, it's, it's insane. It, so more... It, it's non-participation. This is what absolutely terrifies them. And that's why the increased pressure. I'm sure everybody's noticed societally the pressures have been being dialed up and up and up. That's why people pouring across the borders you do a little bit of looking some of them don't even want to fucking come they've been grabbed and brought here oh yeah well you've actually talked to people that came over here because they were told the the city is paved yeah they've been lied to and then they show up and it costs more for a bottle of milk than than their entire grocery bill when i'm working with tribal vietnamese people that can barely speak English, and they're telling me how much worse it is here in America, and they're trying to save up money to go back to Vietnam. What the hell does this tell you about the condition of this country? Oh, yeah. Or any country. We don't have countries anymore. We have economic zones. Well, this is what slave masters have always striven for. You can go back and look at Rome. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. is By definition, a nation is specific to a tribe or at best a confederation of related tribes. But at that point, it's also a confederacy. But you could argue like the, the German nation or the nation of Lakota or whatever. Um, but one, the further out you get, the more and more you are a confederation unless you, unless you are a tribe. And at a certain point, you're more of a confederation. And then if there's no loyalty to the people and everyone is, has to be there, eventually you just become an economic zone. All th- and that's when traditions fall off because traditions aren't profitable. Right. You don't get money, really, from throwing a parade. You don't earn money from people making homemade sweets and giving them to the people coming by on Halloween dressed as ghouls and goblins. Right. And so far as I know, um, it's us and the Asians do parades. Oh, yeah. So far as well, I know. Well, and we do them differently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, well, two actually, very different Currently, methods. in the United States, we do parades more like the Asians than what we usually do. Yes. Because our parades are, if anyone has seen um, the, uh, like, the Feast of Fools in, like, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, that's mm-hmm. closer. It's freaking wild. Yes. It's a bit insane. Everyone's in costumes. Oh. I was going to akin it to a street fair, but that's that's... Too tame. That's too tame. Well, it's like the Krampus runs. And this is my... I'm going to start pulling this out now because I I thought of it. What do people mean when they say traditional? Like, you're traditional. Because a lot of people mean like the 1950s, 1920s. Because here's the thing is it is very traditional in some areas for some of our people to dress up as a goat person and hit people with sticks. Or... um why is it that our people, there's still games played, if you go out in the rural areas where they still have horses, put a saddle on a horse. Okay, everybody's familiar with this concept. You tie a rope around the horn of the saddle. Everybody's still with me. But you don't get in the saddle, you grab a hold of the rope and let the horse run, and who can hold on the longest and just drag behind the horse? A lot of people's play, a lot of 
country folk and probably some some urban folk have played this game with snow snowmobiles or dirt bikes and sleds. This is our people. Welcome to Hyperborea. Oh yeah, we're insane. We do some of the craziest things. And then you wonder why the females live longer than the males. Oh, yeah. Well, we even brought it up uh, in the women podcast and the war games podcast. We need this conflict. And our women are just as violent, but they're usually like it's a it's, it's a different. Even, it's different. Well, like the men are crazy enough to put cardboard wings on and jump off the roof. The girls are usually logical enough to just stare at them, tap their foot and be like, man, these fucking boys. Yes. But. Here's the thing that they won't that the girls won't tell us guys. They like it. That's why they're standing there watching and making fun of us actually. Is that they can feel they're like I'm smart enough to not do that, but I love that boys do this. Oh yeah. Well, that's, there's that's the translation. Well, there's the Krampus tradition. Uh people always know about the 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 going house to house and thing and uh the procession. They don't realize there's more to Krampus than that. First of all, yes, he's a straight-up deity. But um, there's a tradition of there's a table where the men, young men will all sit around. And they have to try and protect this table from the Krampus people that come in that straight beat them. Yes. Like, they, they come away with their clothes and shreds, beaten, bruised, Bruise bleeding. dotted up. And it's funny because I watched some of the videos of that one. It is vicious. I'm actually kind of jealous. I wish I'd been able to do something like that. But the um, you can see as the men are walking away, the women folk of this area, you know, making the goo-goo eyes at them. Yeah. Because they just proved they can take a beating and that they're willing to guard something. Yeah. Which is where some of these traditions are. It's meant to show off the men and the women. And here's the thing is... We're all a bit insane, and we're all a little wild. That's why the, like we brought up traditional hair patterns. Men don't traditionally really have long hair in most areas, because here's the thing: is we go out into the woods and do stuff. Hair gets caught on that. Like you actually did a uh, a test with a bunch of your uh, friends oh, yeah. when you were younger. It got like an inch and a half, maybe uh, about two inches. About two inches long. Wild. Just standing up everywhere. Yeah, like a freaking like an extension of the mane. Yeah, it was the boy's mane because none of us really could grow facial uh, hair, and no one but was our, bald yet. Yeah, and nobody was bald yet, so all of our hair is just standing on end all the time. Even when you brush it, it just popped back up because we was actually doing things. Well, and but well, um, yeah, as exciting as this is, we're at the end of it. So um, yeah, I'm I'm. I know things are getting hairy. Just remember, we live in exciting times. Don't be scared. We are strong. The strength, courage, and wisdom roll through our people. So, uh, yeah, don't sweat it. We're going to make it. Well, things are getting hairy, but we're the hairy people. And here's the thing is there's traditions across our lands that are designed to make us stronger, make us better, make us more connected, and help us survive. And even thrive. Look to your local traditions. Peace out the bullshit that's been propagandized onto it. And be strong. 